Today's episode is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. The Master of Arts Spiritual Formation Concentration at Ozark is for those who want to learn how to lead people to healing and wholeness in Jesus. The purpose of the Spiritual Formation Concentration is to dive deep into God's Word and partner with the Spirit to experience the internal change that will lead to the external change of the world. So what are the next steps? Learn more and apply for free at occ.edu masters. Disciple Makers, welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. You're in for a real treat with this episode today. This is Great Commandment Network's second track session from last year's forum, and both David and Lewis go into personal stories about learning how to follow the Holy Spirit's leading in discipling their family. It was really touching and really convicting, actually. It makes me want to just stop work today, pour into my kids, and learn the best way to love my wife and my kids that serves them the best. This was a great episode, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's go ahead and jump in. This is Great Commandment Network, Dr. David Ferguson and Dr. Lewis Alexander. Yeah, good afternoon. My name is David Ferguson. I'll be one of the folks sharing along with Dr. Lewis Alexander. Good to have you with us. Yeah, we've got a few people that were with us in our first session. We're actually doing four of these, two of them today, obviously, two of them tomorrow. And we're focusing on a different dimension of what we call whole life discipleship. We'll describe that a little bit to you uh, in a simple way. It includes taking John 10.10 abundance and saying that maybe we have messed up discipleship by limiting it to disciple people in their faith their doctrine, their Bible verses, and yet how much active, intentional discipleship do we have for people's relationships? We're going to focus on that quite a bit this session. Tomorrow we'll focus a little bit on how we're doing discipling people in their uh, wellness, emotional, mental wellness, casting out fear, taking thoughts captive, or do we just outsource that? and say our Bible doesn't have anything to do with casting out fear or taking thoughts captive. <laughs> and uh, then we'll focus on do we disciple people in their vocation or calling, Ephesians 4 would say, taking their faith into the workplace. Probably one of the least tapped potentials today for discipleship is equipping the people in our pews to take their faith into wherever God's planted them in the workplace. So whole life discipleship basically says Maybe we have minimized the dominion of discipleship by only focusing upon faith. So we'll explore that a little bit. We had three or four people or maybe a few more in our first session, so I thought I'd put them on the spot by simply letting them ask a question or make a comment, and we'll actually introduce the thought of whole life discipleship through some of their questions or comments. So two or three of you who are here, uh, give us a thought or reflection on these people are so radical, I wouldn't stay here longer, or whatever you want to say. Well, I've uh, been involved uh, in the discipleship ministry, as actually the Bonhoeffer Project. And you learn about what the gospel is, and the elements of the gospel, and these sorts of things. But I believe that 
this has to really be the emphasis above everything else. And I just am really thrilled about this. I believe God's brought me to this, this these sessions. And uh, I think that if we don't uh, do a holistic approach, not beginning to understand that, but especially love, loving God, and when you begin to love God, then through that you have to learn to love yourself, forgive yourself, forgive others. And then when you're doing, when you've done that, then you're released to really loving God, and that gives you, equips you, and gives you the power and the ability uh, that you don't have, even as a Christian, to be able to love other people and see other people, especially <clears throat> people that are not so nice. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's great. That's a good little synopsis of a little bit of where we're going. And we'll kind of blow that down to say our whole team for 40 years has been focused on six Bible verses. It's basically God's given us 66 books. Could you just do six Bible verses in there? Before you get all obsessed with all the rest of them, could you love, just love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love neighbors, and then go forward and make disciples of other people who would love God and love people? Yes. So if you put your emphasis on the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, you can get all kinds of folks to rally around that. So we have 20-something denominations we work with. The, the resource you have here is actually an anthology. We do lots of those, probably done 40 different anthologies of famous people, we say. And so you got everything from Francis Shan in here to Andy Stanley in here uh, to Mark Batterson in, in here to Johnny Erickson Tata, Josh McDowell, whatever. But they will basically all say, we think we're okay with the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. So this particular resource is designed to help people with their new believer or new Christian, uh, new church member ministry to say, could we just start with things like, let's love the Lord and then let's love our neighbors, okay? And so maybe we have narrowly defined our discipleship to only focus upon faith, and not the rest of the whole life issue. And maybe the pandemic has really exposed how irrelevant, if I were to use that word, uh, too much of our discipleship is, with about only 25% of churches in America have any community-facing ministry at all. Everything else is inside the walls. And so people who are hurting, needy in their relationships, wellness, so forth, have no place to look. Yes, sir. So you're talking six verses. How do you help people understand what it means to love? Great idea. Because to me, if you have if you have what you're talking about supported with that, sure. Because I really feel like that's where a lot of churches, a lot of people fail because they're really confused what it means to love ourselves and love others and love God. Yep. Because Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my command. Sure. So to me, without that, it's because love is yeah, self-denying, sacrificial, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, that's good. In fact, that's a, that's a great little transition into a couple of things that are interesting. You ready? <laughs> uh, would be things like this. In other words, how do you really define love? You, you want to let scriptures define love. And so an example would be John 13, 34, that says, love as I have loved you. And so your boundaries, in a sense, or definition of how you love people is, well, did, did Jesus love you like that? 
Okay. If Jesus loved you like that, that's, that's a good definition of love. You okay with that kind of? Yeah. In other words, if Jesus accepted you while you were yet a sinner. So that's another verse. Yeah, you, you'll find our, our, our stuff is just about 15. Foundation it's just about 1,500 Bible verses that are all strung together. Okay, so, now that, that's, that's, that's where I'm getting to, so I'm okay. You're okay? I <laughs> just want to make sure. Okay, but let's work. If we could, let's just work on John 14, 15 there that you quoted. That's a great one. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right. Let's talk about that one for just a moment because that's probably one of the most misunderstood verses in the Gospels. In fact, we do a lot of work on if we're going to love God, which is our premise from the great commandment, we need to love God first. Everybody all right with that? Anytime it doesn't sound orthodox, just raise your hand. No, that's not orthodox. We're out of here. All right, so we're going to love God. Well, that, that, the premise of that is you've got to see God for who he really is to love him the way you want to love him. Is it possible that some of the people sitting in our pews don't see God for who he really is? Well, that's a critical issue. If I was going to work on deconstructing a lot of irrelevant Christianity, we typically say start with experiencing Christ as he really is. Some of you have well, been, been in church long enough, probably, at least a few did, of us in here. If you did that, yes. Christ for who he really is, you wouldn't have the disenfranchised church members, you know, that sleep sure. in church, you know, you'd have a completely different attitude. And that's, a great, that's why we say that's where you want to start, okay? You really want to start. For example, some of us have been around a long time. Anybody ever grow up, anybody's kind of been around church a long time? If you've been around church a long time, you probably somewhere along the lines have heard the little Zacchaeus song about a little wee guy who climbs trees, yeah. right? And when you sing the song, you get that part that says, Zacchaeus, you come down, I'm going to your house today. How many of you learned it, saw it, heard it with a finger pointing Jesus? Come on, just raise your hand, just blurt it at you, bless God. Okay, totally inconsistent with the scriptures. The text says Zacchaeus hurried down with gladness in his heart. Did that gladness get there because he had a finger pointing inspecting Jesus? Absolutely not. He had a welcoming Jesus. Hurry on down, I'm going to your house today. So deconstructing how people see God is a critical issue to then helping people love him. Okay? Does that make sense? And so when we talk about... <clears throat> That if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. You can only love with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength the real God. So we do a lot of work on if we're going to love God, you got to see him for who he really is. And most of us have a messed up concept of God, so you have to deconstruct that. Okay? Yeah. In this session, we're particularly going to focus on whole life discipleship as it relates to discipling people in their relationships. Which means the Bible has a lot to say, not only about great doctrine and how we come to faith, uh, but it also has a great deal to say about having abundance in your relationships. And we're saying we must be intentional to do that. So if we say we're going to love neighbors, Greek word is near one. And so let's work on a couple things. How many of you are married? Okay. So came to faith when I was 21 years old, the Jesus movement, immediately involved in ministry. I'll be 12 years in the ministry, allegedly discipling a bunch of college students, allegedly. 
I had memorized a great deal of scriptures as a rational, heady Jesus freak. Uh, I'd actually memorized a lot of my first epistle was 1 Peter. And the Holy Spirit shows up one day in 1 Peter 3, 7. He says, live with your wife in an understanding way, lest your prayers be hindered. And he says, David, your prayers aren't getting out of the room. Because you don't know how to live with her in an understanding way. No one had discipled me in how to make this work with my near ones. You see, my concept was we're going to witness everything that moved. And we're going to have a lot of prayer hours. And we're going to have three or four discipleship groups a week. And she would later say about those 12th year. And I said, Teresa, do you love me? She said, David, I don't feel anything for you. I'm just feeling numb. Now, you're that far in the ministry and you got a numb-hearted bride, your ministry is in jeopardy. Would you agree? Yeah. So it begins to say to us, how much proactive, intentional ministry do we have in our churches that helps people in their relationships? And then if we go the next step, how much community-facing ministry do we have outside the four walls of the church that engages people who are hurting? Okay. Right now we're doing some, uh, some work in about four major cities, Kansas City, Columbus, Ohio, DFW, South Florida. And we got some folks from the National Christian Foundation. We're putting some money into Google Ads. They basically say during this pandemic, people who are searching for a troubled relationship, should I stay married? They're searching for loneliness, depression, suicide, rather than the top... Uh, Google search responses being divorce attorneys or psychiatric hospitals. <laughs> the first two or three are churches care. And they're having the opportunity to reach out to churches for somebody to pray with them or contact them. I mean, phenomenal response. Just since mid-August, four to five hundred in every one of those cities. But when you look at those seekers and explorers who've given you their name, their email address, their cell phone numbers, there's only about 20% of those churches who have raised their heads said, I'll receive seekers. Only about 20% of them have anything to offer other than come into our building and sit through one of our services. I'm, I'm sure it'll be a great service. Not negating anybody's services. I'm just saying, is that the most effective way to reach seekers. So of those, right now in those four cities, there's over 6,000 who have responded in those four cities. About half of them are relationship challenges. The other half are mental emotional issues like depression, loneliness, fear. So let's take about the half 3,000 seekers in those cities who said, I need some help in my relationships. What if we had some saints it sounds a little bit like Ephesians 4.12. What if we had some saints in our churches who had seen God's grace, hope, help, and healing in the relationships? Think we got anybody that's seen any God's miracles in their homes? We better hope so. And then maybe God would call them into helping some others. And so we develop community-facing ministry. So now we're taking Bible principles. Well, this will freak some of us out. You're taking Bible principles uh, to strengthen relationships. You just don't have the Bible verses splattered everywhere. 
that you can actually apologize to your partner without knowing it is James 5.16, confess your faults to one another. You think that's possible? This, come on. In other words, that you actually having people experience Bible truth and then they come to say, this is really helping us grow closer. Where did it come from? Glad you ask. It's in the Bible. Okay. It's a nonlinear approach to evangelism that basically says this works. Where did it come from? Oh, it came from the Bible. You see, they've already said it worked. So you're not arguing about whether or not the Bible's real. You just told me it worked, All right? And so we have the opportunity to train a lot of church leaders how to offer that kind of help and hope through some of the courses I'm sure Dr. Alexander will tell you about. We probably trained 2,000 church leaders during the pandemic on how to offer community-facing courses, okay? And how to be able to offer those for relationships. So we're going to talk about uh, whole life discipleship, particularly with a focus on relationships. And I'll give you one other, and then Lewis will take it from here. How many of you are parents? Anybody parents? How are we discipling our parents to pass on the faith to the next generation of their own children, to disciple their own children? I'll give you one other personal story. Okay. As a teaching pastor, you know, Sunday's always coming, so I had this little series out of Psalms 127.3, at 127, it's called the Home Building Psalm. So I remember first Sunday we're going to talk about, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain to build it. So imagine the marquee, two kinds of homes being built. Sounds good, doesn't it? Those are being built in vain, those are being built to the Lord. Second week, marquee said, the barrenness of a busy life. It even sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, come on, this is in 1979, all right? Uh... That was, it's vain to rise up early, to retire late, and all you have to show for it is a bread of painful labors. Third Sunday, behold, children are gifts from the Lord. Well, if you're going to have a good sermon, you've got to have an illustration. My illustrations was, we have three children. My oldest, my middle child, Robin, and my wife are downstairs uh, at our book table. We have three children, two daughters and a son. So here was my illustration. People are going to come in on Sunday morning. I'm going to have three beautifully wrapped gifts on the platform. Because children are what? They're gifts from the Lord. So I got this one over here. This is Terry. She's my oldest daughter, quiet spirited, one color of wrapping paper, one bow. Middle child, Robin. Man, she is everywhere. We got multicolored paper. We got bows everywhere. She was in the Miss Texas teen pageant. She still walks around like that. And she's probably greeting people downstairs just like that. Hey, I'm Robin. I'm here. And then our young son, our testimony about him, if we had had him first, we would have had no other kids. Let me just stop right there. Uh, and, uh, and if I could have made his box jump up and down with hyperactivity, I'd have, I'd have put it on springs. And I got me an illustration, children gifts from the Lord. I'm into this sermon preparation. The Holy Spirit shows up and says, David, I have given you three beautiful gifts. And you have not slowed down long enough to unwrap them and get to know them. You don't know how to uniquely love each of those three. And that was another wake-up call for me. A lot of theology, a lot of Bible verses. As my wife would say, overly educated beyond usefulness. And I had to tell a church on Sunday I can't preach Psalms 127.3. You give us a year, we'll fix this in our home. 
and we'll preach on children gifts from the Lord. That's the, we think, the possibility of where you reach people who are hurting wherever they're hurting. And I think that's the story of the gospel, that Jesus <coughs> met people where they were in pain, okay? Whether they were uh, hungry, whether they were demon-possessed, whether they were lame, he met them where they were. And we got a world filled with people who are hurting in their relationships. Whole life discipleship gets the church equipped to disciple people in the pews in their relationship and then to turn them loose to help reach other people. So that's a little bit of what whole life discipleship is. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. Dr. Alexander. Yes, and so that was gonna require, uh, we oftentimes say, a, a real strategic focus uh, some strategic thinking on how we're going to do discipleship. Uh, and so we sometimes say the target is we are to make disciple makers. Uh, disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so that's the target. Um, and so it does require, if you look on the X and Y axis there, some clarity and some intentionality. You know, some clarity about what we're to do and then how we're to do it. Um, Many times we find that um, what we've been doing hasn't been working. You know, if you if you in the medical uh, world, uh, there's oftentimes this the statement: if if the if the treatment is killing the patient, stop the treatment. And many times, oftentimes, the way we've been doing discipleship has actually been killing the patient. And so we need to look at a different way of doing it that's uh, not limited to just a rational, behavioral, uh, theological approach, but has this more relational uh, component uh, to it. Uh, earlier in our, in our first track, we introduced this, this model, this, this uh, stay, age-stage model of discipleship, and this came out of the work of Hippolytus, who's one of the early church fathers he wrote a book in 215 uh, A.D. called The Apostolic Succession. Uh, Hippolytus was discipled by Irenaeus, who was discipled by Polycarp, who was discipled by John, who was discipled by Jesus. So looking back on his own apostolic succession, he wrote this book, Apostolic Tradition, where he first began to outline some stages um, of discipleship. Now, he wrote it in Greek, and so we had to use our best exegetical tools and use some alliteration as well. But he was one of the, uh, the first, earliest Christians to begin to talk about uh, actual stages in discipleship. 
So I thought I would illustrate this anecdotally through uh, what Dr. Ferguson introduced about <coughs> discipling our own kids. You know, it is our responsibility to disciple our children uh, and equip parents in our churches, in our pews, to equip, equip their children. Um, and as we become grandparents, uh, how many grandparents in the room? Same thing. Um, you know, we, we have that, I have that responsibility with my, I have six granddaughters. Uh, not that girls are bad, I love my six granddaughters. Um, when I first began to, and if you were in the first session, you know, I shared that Dr. Ferguson and I have had about a 40 plus year relationship of discipleship together. And I came to him initially out of crisis and out of need. Um, but as he began to equip me on how to disciple my own children, one of the first things we did was uh, when our kids were little, I have, I have three, a girl and two boys. Uh, what we did in our home, and maybe you've done this too in your own, is we did this high-low game. Uh, you know, what was your high point today? What was your low point today? And what I was trying to instill in my own kids is this ministry of compassion. You know, one of the most descriptive terms for Jesus across the pages of the New Testament is that he was moved with compassion. And one of the things that I wanted to pass on to my own children, and it's one of these discipleship outcomes that we have uh, in the book, that's mentioned in the appendix two. We've got 40 discipleship outcomes that we've been working on over the past decade of what it looks like, sounds like to be a disciple. And one of these outcomes is to extend the kingdom of God on earth through compassion. Uh, so I wanted to pass on to my kids, uh, it's a missional outcome, uh, to be compassionate. So they, they would have grown up in our home, sitting around the dinner table at night, and after they'd come home from school, we're just unpacking the day together. And it would be the high-low game. You know, what was your high point today? What was your low point today? And in part of teaching that whole compassion, how to feel into other people's emotion, we just practiced the, the James, uh, uh, sorry, the Romans 12, 15, of rejoice with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep. So when they would talk about their high point of the day, you know, I passed the math test. Woohoo! We're excited for you about that. I know you were worried and stressed about it. I'm glad you. I'm glad you. You passed that. You got through your times tables, um, and that's awesome. So we're we're leading. We're, we're leading as parents. You know, celebrating the success of finally passing that test of learning their times tables, and we're leading the other the siblings to do that as well. Uh, we're modeling that. When they come home and we're talking about the lows and, you know, what was your low point today? And they've had a sad experience at school. That girl I really liked, she dissed me. Uh, you know, we're hurting for her about that. We're not giving her the rational things. There's a more fish in the sea or, you know, you'll, somebody better will come along or whatever. We're, we're actually practicing the second half of that Romans 12, 15, weeping with those who weep. So I'm learning how to weep with my own kids out of their pain. Um, and then, you know, my wife, Lacey, and then we're encouraging our, own, our, our kids to do that as well. So I started noticing, uh, you know, we're creating, when we talk about this first stage, explore stage. We've got to create safe spaces around us where people can explore the truths of the faith. And in this case, I'm, you know, we're compassion. It's, it's one of the most descriptive terms for Jesus. 
Um, and so I want my kids to see that, observe that in me, that their father's seeking to become more of a compassionate person. Well, I first began to notice it in Aaron, he's our youngest, uh, about the fifth grade where he's starting to embrace compassion for himself. That's stage two of discipleship. They're starting to embrace it. Uh, they're realizing, hey, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. My dad's a compassionate dude, you know, especially when I've had a hard day or um, he's able to celebrate with me too when I've had a good day. But I think it might be good for me to do become a compassionate person as well. I first noticed that in Aaron, probably in the fifth grade, when he was he was a wrestler. He was following his other older brother's uh, footsteps. Nathan was a wrestler, so Aaron wanted to be a wrestler. And he was he's this tall kid. I mean, he got all the recessive genes. He's six five. Got a real long body, six seven wingspan. That was one of his nicknames in college basketball was wingspan. Uh, and um, so he always had leverage. And I remember he beat this kid in wrestling. And he came up into the stands after this wrestling match. And I'm kind of proud that he beat this kid too. And he's sitting by me. But he then notices this kid's crying. This kid he just beat is crying. You know what Aaron does? He actually gets up from sitting beside me, goes down to where his opponent is, actually puts his arm around his opponent and begins to comfort his opponent. You know what? I was more proud of that moment yeah, than right. the fact that he beat the kid on the mat. That's right. You know? Because he's starting to get it. He's starting to embrace that for himself to become a compassionate person. I saw it again. It kind of bubbled up in, in uh, high school. He, he transitioned from a public school to a college prep uh, high school. And uh, they had this administrator that interviewed him this admissions officer and uh, she told me afterwards after she accepted him she said i asked your son two questions she said the first question was aaron uh what do you like about yourself i don't know how you would answer that for yourself you know what he said he said i like that i'm a compassionate person i mean he's that's now becoming part of his identity right. he's identifying with that he's experiencing that it's not just something that we do at the dinner table. He's now identifying that's who he wants to be. She said the second question she asked him was, what do you not like about yourself? You know what he said? He said, what's not to like? <laughs> she, she, laughed, she thought that was funny. Uh, but uh, he, he's identifying as a compassionate person. Well, a few years ago, uh, I think he was around 26 years old, he called me up and he said, Dad, um, you remember my friend from high school, Tony? I said, yeah, you know that kid that would eat us out of house and home? He said, yeah, that, that one. Uh, his mom just died. And I'm going to meet up with uh, him, with Tony, and I'm going to meet up with his dad, and we're going to meet up at Chili's, and, and I was wondering if you'd join us. And, and I'm just going to comfort Tony and his dad. And I wonder if you'd come alongside. And so we're sitting there, and I'm hearing my son say, looking at Tony across the table and saying, Tony, I'm, I really regret the loss of your mom. I know how much you loved her and, and how hard this is for you. And my son's weeping for Tony. And he looks over at Tony's dad and he says, I'm really sad over the loss of your life partner. I know that must really hurt. And then he turns to me and he said, Dad, what are you feeling for Tony? And what are you feeling for his dad? <laughs> and so it become full circle. And now he's, he's expressing that quality uh, missionally 
<clears throat> to this uh, friend of his and his dad. Um, and that, that's really cool when, you know, you finally see them get it. Um, that's pretty awesome. Um, and so we found this model uh, helpful. Um, and again, we borrowed it from Hippolytus um, to, to measure where I'm at on the journey of discipleship. And we look at all 40 of the outcomes that you have in this appendix to um, through that lens. You know, how am I doing at expressing compassion? What stage am I at uh, on the journey? Uh, but I thought a fun one we might uh, want to explore. If you look in appendix two, I'm sorry, appendix three. I said appendix two, but in appendix three, what you have is you have 40 discipleship outcomes. Now, in the last session, we kind of went into how do we came how we came up with these forty. Uh, we started with with a with the Bible verse Ephesians four eleven and twelve that he gave some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and, and pastors and teachers. That's all y'all. Y'all been gifted with good stuff for the equipping of the saints for the work of their ministry for the work of service. And we took this word serve because we think saints serve. And uh, we did a cluster analysis of all the Greek and Hebrew words for serve, and we ended up coming up with these 40 outcomes. We, those clustered into four areas of loving the Lord, loving His uh, Word, serving His Word, uh, serving His uh, people, His mission, uh, and then serving His mission. Uh, and we developed 10 outcomes in each of those four dimensions. That's how we came up with these 40. So we're looking particularly at people, right now, and uh, what I'd like you to look at uh, in this Appendix uh, 3 under the uh, Spirit and Power Disciple Loves People Through, look at P5, if you can find it in Appendix 3. Uh, Dr. Ferguson mentioned this one, so I thought it'd be fun to kind of look at this one and, and to self-assess. Uh, P5 says, ministering his life and love to our nearest ones at home and with family, as well as faithful engagement in his body, the church. And Dr. Ferguson specifically mentioned this Bible verse that's referenced there, which helped define this discipleship uh, outcome for us, is you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone uh, weaker. Since she is uh, a woman, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers are not hindered. So Dr. Ferguson referred to that First Peter passage. Uh, but think about it in the context, though, of your close relationships. Uh, how are you doing at, at really ministering to and caring for your near ones, uh, starting in your family uh, and within the body of Christ? Where would you put yourself? In terms of these these stages, now if if you want to take a little uh, assessment of all forty of these, you can come up and you and, and take a picture of this QR code, and you can download uh, a, an assessment. And the way we normally do these assessments is on a Lackert scale of one to five, uh, one being ah that's not true of me. I don't really do that. I'm I'm not really good at ministering mm -hmm. to and serving my near ones very well. Uh, that would be a one, would be uh, not true of me. Um, 
if you gave if you gave yourself like a two, a two would mean that that's infrequently true of you. If you if you gave yourself a three, that would be somewhat true. That yeah, sometimes, you know, I get lucky and pull this off. Um, a four would be this is uh, often true of me that I do minister to my near ones well. Um, and then a five is if it's very true of me, that I'm very mindful. Now, the way we, we end up putting these on this particular model uh, is uh, if, you did a, if you scored yourself a one or two on that particular outcome, you would be just exploring it um, in your life. If you gave yourself a three, you've kind of embraced it as, yeah, it's probably something I ought to do. Just not good at it yet. If it's four, you know, you're doing it on a regular basis. And then if you've scored yourself a five, you're able to teach others on how to do that as well. That's how we tend to uh, plot people who take, this assess who, who take the assessment. And then you can see visually where you end up clustering and where the potential growth areas might be. Um, we have churches uh, end up assessing uh, members and that ends up shaping pastors on how to preach their messages. You know, where are the, where are the potential gaps that need to be addressed in their sermons? Do I need to be focusing on uh, these people uh, outcomes in my preaching? Uh, so we oftentimes have, have used it in that way. But you'll find more information about that if you'd like to um, grab that QR code uh, at the end of our time together. Um, when you say you assess the, the church, what does that look like? Like each individual assesses themselves and turns it in? Yeah, we have a self-assessment uh, where, where people will self-assess in these 40 areas, <clears throat> basically using that Lackert scale. Um, it's all anonymous. Yeah. And it, it does come back to the uh, pastor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you have a summary sheet you do that assessment right. with? Yeah. Yeah. Through those things, mm -hmm. but I just think uh, it's this is real. I just, <laughs> I just think this is an excellent metrics for an observable uh, one and a kind of a neutral one. Of course, it's still kind of subjective, and but I think it would help the pastor to understand this and the staff, and also. <laughs> when people kind of take it serious, really want to go through, because people are kind of hesitant in doing these kinds of things. But it would help them to see uh, observably, you know, where I am in this. Because I think we deceive ourselves, thinking we're much better than that. But if you begin to be honest, I think you'd say, other than amen, you'd have to say. <laughs> oh, me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Kind of where we're headed is toward a 360, yeah. where you get some feedback on <laughs> how I'm observing you in uh, this particular outcome. So uh, maybe give yourself a number. Uh, think of a number uh, on how you would assess yourself in this P5, since, since we've already put this one out there, uh, or a stage. You know, again, if you if you give yourself a one or two, in other words, it's really not true. I'm just I just don't. It's just not. It's just not top mind. I don't think about ministering 
his life and love to my nearest ones. Uh, if you gave yourself a three somewhat, you'd be in the embrace. If you gave yourself a four, this is off, this is, um, often true of me, then you'd be in the experience. If you gave yourself a five, that this is very true of me, you would be in the express stage. Um, yeah, you want to say more about that? Or? Good, thanks, Louis. Yeah, uh, let's talk about this for just a minute, just in terms of what, what we mean by whole life discipleship. I want to go back to what Lewis said. Uh, think about the parish in your church. How many of them would be adequate to have a high-low conversation with their kids? How adequate would the average parent be to say, hey, let's just take a few minutes tonight, talk about some of the things we celebrate, and a parent knows how to celebrate with their kids. And now let's take a few minutes and what were some of the concerns? What were some of your down points this week? And a parent knows how to give what the Bible calls comfort. Not pep talks, not quote Bible verses. So that's what we mean by being intentional disciple people in their relationships. So you would find uh, on uh, our, one of our websites, greatcommitment.net, you'll find a bunch of what's called table talks, which says, parents, download these things. We now have a dozen weeks worth of table talks we can have with our kids. Okay, It says, hey, let's talk about rejoice with those rejoice. Let's talk about support one another. Let's talk about respect one another. Let's talk about accept one another. That's being intentional to disciple people in their relationships. Sound okay? We're convinced that that's a part of whole life discipleship. We've got to start doing a better job of that because most parents uh, will mess it up. Okay, They start hearing about a, a young person's disappointments or pain. Uh, sadly, our experience is most Christian parents are not moved with compassion. They're moved with advice, facts, logic, pep talks, and Bible verses, not compassion. So part of it is being intentional to do this. Yes, sir. But I think, you know, you mentioned the asking our, our wives or our spouse mm -hmm. how they would view us. What if we did that in kind of some older children, mm -hmm. how they think we're doing that? Yeah, we. I mean, I'll tell you a fun thing. I mean, my kids, you know, as they begin to get ready to leave the house, that's a conversation we had. We've got a list of these things. We say, hey, you know, Let's give us a little scale here of how do we do? What do we miss? Okay. We think that's an important part of leaving father and mother, quite frankly. It says, let's be honest about those. Let's be vulnerable about those. Okay. Let's prepare folks with the freedom to be able to say, uh, Dad, I really missed. I remember my oldest daughter, Terry, said, you know, when I said that, honey, you're about to go away to college. Do you have any disappointments or hurts that when you find those, I want to know about them? You know, we want to hear them. I said that question. Hey, you're about to go away to college, find disappointments or hurts that we haven't talked about yet. I want to hear about them. I'm thinking she'll have to think a long time. It gets real quiet. She's got one. She said, Dad, do you remember a year ago when I graduated from high school? You know what I did? I start mentally defending myself. Yeah, I remember. We had a party. I was there. I was on time, you know, and I bought a gift. That was all going in my head. He said, Daddy, do you remember I was working part, I was go to school in the morning, work part-time in the afternoon? I said, yeah. She said, Daddy, it felt so funny to drive myself to my own graduation. It would have meant so much to me if you'd have come by and picked me up. Had no clue that that was inside of her. Now the challenge for me is to be a person of compassion. 
go around the table, put my arm around and say, honey, I wouldn't have wanted to do that. Forgive me. Forgive me. That's how we bond. Okay. That's why our two daughters work with us in ministry and have for 25 years. Okay. So we've got to deal with these things. Be intentional about relationships. Everybody all right with that? How many of you preach? Do something with the word of God? Okay. Uh, let, let me give you a little bit of an idea of then how do you land this kind of or model this. How many, some of you doing small group leading, you're doing Bible study, whatever it is. We would say that one of the things that moves the needle on discipleship is what we call a relational theology perspective on spiritual formation, which means how does Christ get formed in us? It does not get formed in us because you memorize a lot of Bible verses. Does not. Okay. That's essential that happened. Don't, don't ignore that. But we move the needle. John 12, 35 says, walk in the light, lest the darkness overtake you, which means the darkness is always chasing us. Does that sound right? And all any of us have to do for the darkness to get you is to what? Stop walking. Now, for many of us, we stop right there with the exegesis. you got to keep going. It says, what does it mean to walk in the light? It begs that question. What do you mean to walk in the light? And then you begin to say, you know what? In Scripture, there's actually at least three sources of light. Okay? There's the light of the Word of God, Psalms 119, 105, right? That's the light of the Word. In our last sentence, we said, hey, how about in your Bible, in your, uh, in your sermons, at church, in your small groups, what if you allowed some space occasionally to actually experience a Bible verse? That'd be pretty radical. We think that's critical to whole life discipleship. You're actually going to do Bible verses at church, and if you do them at church, people realize, you know what, I can do this at home. So in our last session, we did rejoice with those who rejoice. And you begin to say, hey, if we did that at church, we could do that at home. Another source of light is this idea of encountering Jesus. Would you agree with me that in the Gospels, when people encountered Jesus, most of them went away different? Just kind of go with that a little bit. Would anybody have some names? This won't be a quiz, but we've got a lot of names, don't we? They had a fresh encounter with Jesus, and they went away different. What if that became a part of our homiletic? Part of our homiletic is that today the passage is challenging us to right here in this room have a fresh encounter with the person of Jesus. So myself, almost 30 years ago, to his story about comfort and the fact that that compassion is the most often used word to describe the heart of Jesus, that was not my characteristic. Uh, my first degree is in nuclear physics, my first master's in computer science, not the most compassionate fields on the planet. So when my wife is disappointed or hurting or my son's been a jerk as a teenager, I come home and she's hurting and she's slamming cabinet doors and banging pots and pans. I have no clue what to say. So I'm think, saying things like, what's wrong with you now? <laughs> what's wrong with you this time? Inquiring minds want to know, what, what, what's wrong with you? Just tell me how to fix it. Yeah, that's right. That's the next thing I would do. Well, honey, if you would do it like this time next time, that wouldn't happen. Now, that would really get you in trouble. Honey, when I am upset, disappointed, whatever you do, don't start giving me advice. I'm a mathematician. Okay, don't give me advice. You start giving me advice, makes me feel like you're saying if I was as smart as you were, I wouldn't got myself into this, so I end up feeling blamed. I feel worse. How about only you can control your attitude? Yeah, only you can control your attitude. Exactly. Sound like my father. Yeah, sound like my father. Or I want to give her Bible verses. 
Honey, you just need to put away this anger, wrath, and bitterness toward our sons. Okay. <laughs> oh, me. And so I, I, I got no clue. Here I am. I'm, 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 this, is, this is real. So I'm preparing a sermon. I, I think I know what homiletics is. It's in Luke 17. It's a story about the Tim Lepers. You remember the story. I'm looking for a sermon outline. You go in the Bible, you're looking for uh, outline. You're not looking for the Word of God to change you. You need stuff for other people. And so it's the story where it says ten lepers show up. The word of God, the word's getting out among the lepers. They ten show up, says, have mercy on us. And he says to them, go, show yourselves to the priest. A great place to start relational discipleship is in the red letters of Jesus in the Gospels. Go, show yourselves to the priest. So I wrote that down. My first point was go obey the Bible. Because what he's just said is Leviticus 24, 25 says, if you ever got healed of leprosy, you had to go show yourself to the priest. So in essence, he's saying, go obey the Bible. Now, that's pretty orthodox. It'll work in most of our churches. Amen? Amen. You need to go obey the Bible. It says, as they went. You remember what happened? What happened? They were healed. First of all, they were healed. So I wrote item number, Roman number two, go exercise faith. He's saying, go as if you are healed, you will be healed. Now, again, in most of our churches, this is somewhat orthodox. I want you to go obey the Bible, and I want you to exercise faith. Sound okay so far? But I am doing exactly what you said, brother. I'm still looking in the text for a third go, right? I mean, you don't show up on a sermon on Sunday with only two points. You want two points, you get two-thirds salary. You've got to have at least three points. If you want somebody to steal the sermons, they have to be alliterative. And so I got a third go I got to find. So here I am in the text. I'm looking for the third go, and it says, but one of them. Now, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is about to say, David, this text is not about a sermon. This is about you. But one of them apparently could not take another step away from Jesus. He turned, he came back, threw himself at the feet of Jesus, and began to give him thanks. I read the next letters in red. Were there not ten? Where are the other nine? I mean, when I read that verse, it touched my heart. It actually saddened me. I actually got a tear in my eye. You see, because that question, were there not ten, where are the other nine? That's not a rhetorical question. It's not like, does anybody know where they are? you got to exegete it correctly. He's basically saying, why? Mm -hmm. Are the other nine, what? Why are they not here? Now, folks, this is a man acquainted with sorrows and grief. This is a man who's disappointed in his humanity. He's acquainted with sorrow and grief. He's disappointed. You know what? I had compartmentalized the man acquainted with sorrows and grief. It only took place on the cross. It's everywhere in the Gospels. Where are the other nine? It saddened me. I read the next passage. It says, has only this Samaritan come back? Now, when I read that, arrogant Bible verse hidden in my head says, if this one's a Samaritan, I wonder what the other ones were. Must have been what? Must have been Jews. Is this not yet another time when he has come to his own? His own received him not. 
Even the Jewish lepers don't get it. Now, when that hit my heart, men and women, I start crying. And the question in my heart is, why are you crying? Before I could even answer it, who are you crying for? And it was very clear, I am crying for Jesus. I'm not proud of this. Probably 18 years of ministry time. First time I'd ever cried for Jesus. I'm not proud of that. Lord, what's going on inside of me? I'm crying for Jesus. Compassion. And the Holy Spirit says, remember this Philippians 2 passage? In fact, David, you did a master's thesis on this passage. I want to count everything as lost for surpassing value of one thing. I want to know him, the power of his resurrection, and the what? Fellowship of his sufferings. I am fellowshipping with the sufferings of Jesus. First time. You say, what was that? Was that just some kind of experience? I did two things. First of all, it revolutionized my devotional time, I promise you. Because there was something that took place that day that basically says, when Jesus starts looking around for people who ought to be giving him thanks, I don't ever want him to say, where's David? So I bring many mornings, I begin those mornings with imagining I'm kneeling beside that leper. And if nobody else does, we're going to give him thanks. It was transformative. You know what? Because encounters with Jesus do that. Fresh encounters with Jesus transform us. You say, well, what did, what, what, what did it do to help you better love people? About a week later, I came home. My wife slamming cabinet doors again. My teenage son had been jerked again. Now, I'd previously said, what's wrong with you now? Pep talks, quote Bible verses, give her advice. And out of my heart came these words, Teresa, I can really see that you're hurting. And I just want you to know whatever's going on, I care. Because I love you. And I hugged her. When I pulled away from her, I could tell she's getting better. And guys, I remember thinking, you ought to write that down, Dave. You've been looking for that sentence for a long time. <laughs> and what was happening was the more I was able to experience compassion for Jesus, I was able to experience compassion for those near me. Can I encourage you what I just did? And we're going to pause and just pray for just a second. And Lewis will give you a couple things you can text or QR code or do something that I don't understand. But, but I, I, want, I want to pray in just a minute because I, I would like to suggest to you who do anything with the Word of God in your small groups, in your discipleship groups, in your sermons, would you lead people to a fresh encounter with Jesus occasionally? Because one of the things we've got to communicate is that we have not only a historical Jesus, we have a contemporary Jesus. And we've got that so messed up that too often times all we teach or preach is about a historical Jesus. Well, your book, your book, my book says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You still think the man acquainted with sorrows and grief gets disappointed when we don't show up? You think he occasionally would say to me, 
can you not pray with me just one hour? That's not just about Peter, James, and John. I remember the time when he says, David, I'm oftentimes praying for you. Romans 33, 34, I intercede for you. But a great deal of time, I pray without you, David. Why don't you come join me? You see, fresh encounters with Jesus are transformative. Whole life discipleship will revolutionize your homiletic. Leading people into fresh encounters with the person of Jesus. Would you bow with me for just a moment? Uh, Father, thank you that uh, we look into the Word and we find, uh, we find the testimony of your Son, the God-man Jesus. Lord Jesus, in your humanity, you experience sadness and sorrow, disappointment and grief. You experience discouragement, betrayal, that you might identify with us. Mm. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit might lead us occasionally to identify with you. That when you sometimes whisper, can you not pray with me? When you sometimes whisper from the word, where are the others who should give me thanks? When your word sometimes whispers, as he did to Philip, have I been so long with you, David, that you don't know me? Lead our hearts from time to time into the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus, your sufferings, Lord Jesus, that we sometimes see in the word. Mm -hmm. Knowing that as that happens, there's a transforming in us to be a people of compassion. And only in that, Father, will we be able to look upon fields white into harvest mm. and be moved not with advice and Bible verses, but with compassion. Mm. Change us, Lord, as we freshly encounter your Son. Mm. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Fantastic stuff from Great Commandment Network. We got them up for the next two episodes as well. So make sure you hit subscribe so you know when I release those next two episodes. There was a quote that I believe it was David said that really spoke to me. He said, the more I was able to experience the compassion of Jesus, the more I was able to experience compassion for those near me. And is that not what the world needs right now? Is that not what the church needs to be doing right now? Number one, experiencing for real Jesus' compassion, and then showing that exact same compassion for the world around us. People that look different than us, people that talk differently than us, have different lifestyles than us, we should continue to show them that same exact compassion that we were shown. So I hope that that inspires you too. All right, y'all, thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.